Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. I'm going to resume kind of the series we have been doing, uh, we were doing last fall. And what we're doing is going through our church mission statement. And, and let me tell you what that is. We exist as a church to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ. We do it by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. And what we've been doing is taking each of the four parts of the four phrases of that mission statement and doing a five-week sermon series to clarify and define it. We did talked about honoring the greatness of Jesus Christ. We spent five weeks talking about why Jesus Christ is so great. Then we spent the, the next five weeks talking about how to grow spiritually. How do we grow spiritually? What does that mean? How do we do it? So we talked about that. And now we're going to begin to talk for the next five weeks about living authentically. What does it mean for a Christian to live their Christian life with authenticity? What does that mean? What are the elements of it? What are the factors that contribute to you and I producing a Christian life that is authentic. Now, authenticity is something everybody desires. And everybody claims to be authentic. You ever notice that? Oh, I'm not a fake. I'm real. I'm authentic. I'm, I'm the real deal. And, and so everybody claims to be authentic. But everybody also claims to see a lack of authenticity in our world. You ever notice that? Now, you know, the math doesn't add up. This doesn't always add up. We, we, we say, hey, we want to be authentic, I'm authentic, but yet we see an inauthentic world around us. And so let's just kind of take a few minutes to talk about what we mean by authenticity. And it's somewhat the kind of the thing that is hard to define, but you know it when you see it. For instance, when I think of definitions of authenticity, you get a thesaurus out and you, you go through it. You, you hear things like this, genuine, sincere, faithful, valid, unadulterated, committed to a standard, integrity. Those are some of the range of words that are used to describe authenticity. When I think of authenticity, I think of two things that when I see them in my life, I've thought, I love that because it's very authentic. Now, one of them is I like what I call movies that are authentic. I, I like movies. My wife and I back before the, the, the Holocaust hit us, we, 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 would go to, um, we would go to movies real regularly. We, we loved them, we'd go to them. But the, the movies I like are dramas. I don't like comedies. I, I, I go to comedies and I sit there and I literally don't laugh. I just don't like them. I think they're stupid. I think they're contrived, you know, I just think, oh, people aren't that, that come on. And I just, I just can't enjoy a comedy ever. Really rarely can I enjoy a comedy. And, and I don't like horror movies because, again, they are stupid. They, we don't have ghosts walking around. Frankenstein doesn't exist, you know, and, and there's not vampires or werewolves. And I just, I just, I just get, like, I'm not getting, I'm not going to be emotionally manipulated by something that literally is not true. I'm just not going to spend money and time. I don't like horror movies. I don't like comedies. 
I will go to special effects movies. I don't really like them. They aren't my thing. I, you know, I, I don't get, you know, my boys just go off about Marvel movies and how wonderful they are and Lord of the Rings. And I remember sitting through Lord of the Rings and falling asleep in the movie theater. And it just, it's just, those just aren't my things. I know, please, you know, I'm sorry if that offends you. I just don't like those kind of movies. I like dramas. I like real dramas. And what really bothers me the most is when there is a good drama, there's a good plot line, and there's a good conflict, but the writer has to add too much to it. You ever had, had that? You do too many twists. And it just becomes, un, it just is no longer believable. I like a believable drama. Human nature. Give me, give me something I can really honestly believe in. It sucks me in. I appreciate the art of it. I, I just, to me, that's, that's authentic. A really well done, good story that's not overtold. And the, and the author has the, the integrity to let the story itself and the, and the drama itself and the emotions you feel as you go through it be the star feature of the, of the work. To me, that's authentic. Now, the other thing to me that's authentic that just when I see it, I go, wow, that is so authentic. To me, is when I see an unplugged rendition of a song. I like the plugged in versions fine, but there is something to me when they started doing this in the 90s, and thank God for the 90s, it was a great, great music, followed the 80s, which was an awful decade of music, embarrassing almost, that I grew up in, the, in my 20s were, were wasted. With that kind of music, it's sad. But, but the 90s came along, and, and it, it just revived us. And, and you know, you, you had, but, but what would be really cool is when, you know, you'd see Nirvana or some of these really great, and they would just sit in a room with just real instruments. It was wooded. It wasn't amped up. There was no lights, and they just sang. It was just the song and the music and sort of the purity of the emotions and the story being told. To me, to me, that felt very authentic. You guys feeling me? That, that's what feels to me authentic. That's what I think authenticity is. And when we, we think another thing about authentic, we may think about a work of art. We talk about how a work of art was an authentic Picasso. It was an authentic Monet or an authentic Banksy or, or, or whoever the artist may be. It was, it was authentic. And the, the idea was that although all their works are different and they're not the same, you can look at a work and you can see the skill and you can see the, the intention and the design and the, the bent of the artist on display in those portraits. And to me, I think that is a lot of what, why God loves authenticity in a believer. Because he wants to put his unique touch and style and brand and work in each of our lives in a different way. But there's something about authenticity that is very powerful. And it's very desirable. And it's something we all need. And it is, when it is lacking, it is, in Christianity particularly, it is appalling. When we lack authenticity as Christians... In the world we live in, it is appalling. I remember reading two books that, that were almost, they still caught me. They were written by two newspaper people. One was a guy named Lee Strobel. And Lee Strobel was a, the head legal writer for the Chicago Tribune. 
great job, and he was very, very accomplished at his job, head of the whole department. He went to Yale Law School, and he wrote about all the, the great cases. He wrote about the bust up of the mob and things that were going on in Chicago, very famous writer. And he was an atheist. And his wife became a Christian. And he kind of mocked her and laughed at her and just wasn't into it. So what he decided to do was he was going to take a period of time, he took about a year, and he was going to research Christianity. And he was going to disprove it. He was going to disprove particularly the resurrection. Like, it's just a crazy belief that a dead man came back to life. And he just, he went out and he sought out to disprove it. And so what he did, he conducted a series of interviews all over the country. He flew from here and there, and he, he compiled stuff. And at the end of a year, as he was writing out all his research, he said this, I was overwhelmed by the amount of evidence, solid, sound, historical evidence there was that said that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. He said, I was overwhelmed by it. And he, said, he, said, and he literally said, the weight of, under the weight of the evidence, my atheism buckled. It buckled. And he committed his life to Christ. The committed Christian to this day. He wrote a book about his journey called um, The Case for Christ. And there's another writer, his name was William Lovedell. William Lovedell was a writer in Virginia Beach. He became a Christian, and then he went and he got a dream job in the L.A. Times. And what they offered him a job as is the religion reporter for the L.A. Times. He thought, great, I'm in L.A., I'm with the Times, with a big paper. And he was going to go there and serve the Lord and write all these great stories about Christians and what they're doing. And, and he, he started out, it was great. He, got, he would interview Christians that were doing great things for orphanages or were, were building orphanages, were doing things to stop sex trafficking. And he just, and, but, but as he continued to do these stories, he began to get bothered by something. And what he began to get bothered by is that he saw that these people that did these, that were really following Jesus, in the midst of his congregations that he visited, stood out like lights. They were the exceptions. For the most part, Christians were blah when it came to living out their faith in a meaningful and a sacrificial way. It started bothering him. And then he was asked to begin to report on the sex scandal that was going on in the Catholic Church. And he got into it for a couple years, and it just broke him again and again and again. And then he was asked to investigate televangelists and radio ministries and what was going on with them again and again and again. And over the course of five years of doing this, William Lovedale, an eager, born-again Christian renounced his faith and became an atheist. And he said the reason he did that it was not because of evidence or fact. He said he wanted to find out was there enough evidence in the lives of the believers he saw to be convincing that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. He looked and said it didn't exist there. 
And so we have this incredible paradigm here. We have an atheist who researches the facts, and in his words, his atheism buckled under the truth. But then we have a Christian who researches the lives of believers, and his Christianity buckled under the fraudulence he saw again and again and again. Listen, guys, authenticity in your Christian life is utterly, utterly crucial. It is crucial to you that you be real with what you believe. It is crucial to God who wants to really paint authentic portraits of who he is and what he's like and what he does in a light. And it's crucial to the world around us. It's crucial to the people around us that we say we love and care, that they see authenticity in our lives. You know, one of our core values of our church is we believe that an authentic life lived in the real world is more powerful and persuasive than an impressive church service. And we want to have impressive church services. We want them to be great and wonderful and the music to be perfect and the speaker to be at least tolerable that day, you know. And what it, we, we, want you to have a, we want to have a great church service, but there is nothing more powerful than for someone to see you and I live it in the real world, in our classrooms, in our dorms, in our fraternities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, amongst our family members, to see you genuinely authentically live a Christian life is powerful and it's persuasive. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing like it. No song, no speaker, nothing is more persuasive than that. And that, that is, it is within each of us to produce a sermon and a message that is that powerful and persuasive. We just need to be authentic and true. To what we believe. So I want to give you a, a brief introduction here. What does the Bible mean by authenticity? Now, if you look at 1 John, this is a place in the Bible where it, it kind of hones in somewhat on what authenticity is. And you'll find this phrase if you read it. We're, we're going to read this in just a second. But over and over again, um, the writer who is John, disciple of Jesus, is going to say over and over again this phrase, if we claim... If we claim, if we claim, basically he's going to say, basically, if we say this about ourselves, this ought to be evident. And so he, he goes here, and I want to start in verse, chapter 1, verse 5. What he did in the very beginning of this is a really beautiful prologue, uh, the first four verses of chapter 1. He talks about how he, he saw, he handled the word of life. He basically is talking about how Jesus Christ was God with us. He was God as real as he could be. He said, this is what I touched. This is what I saw. This is who I conversed with. And those conversations, the essence of that human being that I knew, Jesus, is what I'm going to communicate with you about. I want to talk about what my intimate three years with him, I'm, this is what I'm taking away from that. And I want to communicate with you about it. And then he says this in verse 5. This is a message we heard from him and Claire to you. God is light, 
In him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Now here's the, the first point he's going to make here. And there's, a, there's a, a calibration we need to make to a certain truth. And it's basically this. God is the greatest, most significant factor in the universe. Period. And it is inauthentic if we as created beings with a shelf life of 80 years don't align ourselves with our originator and with our creator who is an eternal being. There's something really uneven about that. There's something inauthentic about that. Somebody says, I'm just an authentic person. I do what I think I should do. I'm true to myself. Look at yourself in a mirror. What is so authentic about you? What is so credible about you that you could override Almighty God? What is it about you and I that makes us think we're more important than He is? He's, he's more crucial, that we're more crucial. We are of a greater priority than Him. It's, it's very, very just inauthentic, isn't it? And this is what He's saying. Listen, there's a powerful truth that a, a university had as its core foundation of philosophy in its philosophy department. And it was this. Two things. Number one, there is a God. The most important fundamental, there is a God. The second one is, you are not Him. What an important truth to embrace. And the truth is, until you and I get that truth down, we're just going to lie to ourselves. In fact, honest to God, our whole life is an incongruent lie. Because the biggest thing in this universe is the creator of this universe. The biggest thing in reality is the creator of reality. And for you to submit him or, or, or diminish him to be underneath us is an absurdity. It's incongruent. There's a tremendous lack of integrity that rules over our soul when that's where we're at. You know, there's a tremendous picture for what integrity is. Like in the ancient world, the, the word that we translate in the Bible, integrity. And, and what they would do is they would, and it meant for, it, it, the word literally means for a marble to be still on a table. Look at the word integrity. A marble that doesn't roll on a table. Now, why on earth would that be the why would they translate that as integrity? Now, here's why. Back in the day when you were buying a table, buying a piece of furniture, and you wanted to see if all four legs were the same height, how would you know? Unless it was really terrible, you couldn't just look at it and know. What you would do is you'd take a marble and you'd put it on that table. And if all the sides were even, all the sides matched up, all the sides were aligned, that marble would not roll. And what it simply means 
is what you and I appear to be. What you and I say is true of us literally is when no one's looking. It doesn't roll. It is who we are. There's an authenticity there. And this is what he's talking about. We prioritize God above anything else. You know, Jesus once taught a parable. And he talked about people that were invited to a relationship with him. And they said, oh, you know, I got a house. I got a family. They made all these excuses up. And Jesus kind of mocked it. It's like to believe my world and my life is more important than his is incredibly inauthentic. And the writer John goes on here. He begins to, again, elaborate authenticity and what it is. And if you look at, at verse 8, again, he uses this phrase, if we claim. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned and make him out, we make him out to be a liar... And the truth is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. Yeah, it is. Here's what he's talking about here. and he's, he's, He's going through another claim that we could make. I could claim that I've not sinned. To claim you've not sinned. To claim something we're doing that is sinful is not a sin. And John is saying basically, come on. Come on. If we say we don't sin, we're a liar. Truth isn't in us. Truth isn't there. You know, again, we talked about how Jesus made fun of the people with the that men had the bad priorities. I also kind of mocked, one of the most mocking stories Jesus ever told was, was of two people. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. Tax collectors were very, very despised people. Pharisees were very religious people. And he talked about how they both went to the temple. And the Pharisee went in there, the religious leader looked at the tax collector and said, God, I thank you. I'm not like this guy. I tithe. I do this. I don't do that. And he went on about his accomplishments. And the publican just fell on his face and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one do you think was really right with God? And they said, oh, the, the publican. You see, one thing that we can be incredibly inauthentic about us as Christians is we think spirituality is about being perfect. And it's not about being perfect. Spirituality is about being real. God is much more excited about a follower of him who can be real than one who can be perfect. Can we own our sin? Can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be honest with why we do what we do? Can we admit we're wrong? Can we do that? You know, one of the most powerful songs, and it just, it, it, it's a great, timeless song. It was uh, written by um, Leonard Cohen years ago, and... Um, made popular later on, but it was the song Hallelujah. Remember that song? Ha, I, I don't want to sing it. <laughs> That'd be the end of us all. 
you know, but if you read the lyrics, it, the original lyrics particularly, he, he talks about two things. He really talks about his own journey as a broken human. He says, you know, he talked about David, and he talked about Samson with Delilah and these, these sins that they, sexual sins they fell into, the shame of them and the, the brokenness that comes. And he just said, you know, aren't we all that way? In some way or another, aren't we just, it isn't really what any of us have to give God. It's just a broken hallelujah. Just a broken one. You know, there is nothing more powerful and more persuasive than a genuine apology, than a genuine, broken, repentant, I'm wrong. John says here, confess your reclaim without sin we lie. Confess your sins. And he goes in and he says something very powerful. He says we have, and he describes Jesus in two things. He describes Jesus as our advocate. As sinners, we have an advocate. And, and the Greek word there is the word paracletus. And a paracletus originally was somebody who would come in and would be someone's lawyer in court. He would be a lawyer in court. And then basically what a paracletus would do, particularly in a situation where you were uh, accused of a crime, he was your defense attorney. And he basically would tell you, listen, you let put the entire weight of your guilt and innocence on me. Put it on me. It's entirely on me. You sit down and you be quiet. You put your guilt and your, your innocence on me. He's the, he's the advocate. He's a paracletus. And then it says how he is. He, is. he is not by arguing your case and saying you're not really that bad. He does it by becoming another Greek word, hilamus, which is a translated the atoning sacrifice. It means the, he is the one who wipes away your sins. He's the one who takes them away, who wipes them out. And I don't sit here when... There's nothing more inauthentic than for a Christian to say, well, our sins aren't that bad. They aren't that big. I don't really commit them that bad. It is really authentic when we're honest with who we are, yet we understand and we believe we have an advocate. There is an atoning sacrifice that has wiped our sins away. And John describes God's reaction to us in a powerful way. He said, it is, God is faithful and he is just to forgive you and cleanse you. Not does he forgive you of our sins, but he cleanses. He wipes them out as though they didn't exist. He views you as though you had never sinned and he treats you that way. And the Bible describes him as faithful to do it, which is wonderful. But it says also, he's, it's the just thing for God to do. Now, how is it just for God to forgive your sins? How is it just for him to wipe your sins away and cleanse you? What's he thinking? How is it? Now, it's merciful. It's gracious. It's sweet. It's wonderful. But how is it just? How is it the appropriate, the right thing for God to do? Let me ask you a question. Let's say that you went and you had a speeding ticket. And that speeding ticket was $500. We just had a speeding ticket in our family. 
our, our police need to, our, we're trying to re, uh, refill the bank accounts, I think. It's amazing what they charge. Don't speed, guys. Anyways, um, let's say you, you, you go and you have one choice. You can pay this exorbitant fine for speeding, going 11 miles over the speed limit, which is not bad in my book. Or, or you can go to jail for a month. Somehow or another, you mortgage your house, you sell your firstborn, you pay that fine, right? You don't go to jail for a month. What if you paid the fine? Or someone paid the fine for you? And the judge said, well, you're still going to go to jail for a month. What type of judge would that be? Un-what? Unjust. Because the full penalty's been paid for. You can't punish somebody for a crime that's been paid for. And here's what he's saying, man. It's a just thing for God to do. To forgive you and cleanse you. Release you from that. So we need to ca calibrate ourselves to the reality of God, the importance, the significance of God. Here's the second thing that's authentic. We recalibrate ourselves to the importance of the cross. We recalibrate ourselves to the absolute importance of what Jesus did. And the third thing, let's read on here. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says, we've known, we come to know him if we keep his commandments. For whoever says of him, but whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So he kind of introduces something else here. It's very authentic about Christianity. Very simple. We follow his word. Jesus wants to ask the questions. How do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? What a simple question. How do you call Jesus your Lord? How do I call him my Lord and not do what he says? And this is always a real challenge in our life, is that do we align ourselves with God's Word? I mean, are we aligned with it? What it says about relationships, are we aligned with it? What it says about money, are we aligned with it? What it says about the poor, are we aligned with it? What it says about sex, are we aligned with it? So here's, here's, a, here's a thing we all face. This is... This is the essence of authenticity. I've got a rubber band in my hand. And there is, there, it's a little bit of tension in the rubber band. And here's what this tension would represent. What I'm doing, and this represents what the Bible says. And there's a gap. What I'm doing, what the Bible says. And here's the two choices we got. This tension doesn't last forever. And we can either sit there and we can say, oh, well, the Bible will, and we can just bring the Bible over, continue doing what we're doing, and, and make it subservient to our desires and our, and, and what John is saying, that's fraudulent. That's a fake. You don't want to be a fake? You don't want to be a fraud? That's the essence of it. Oh, the Bible says this? I, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable. I don't want it. it absolutely. 
Here's what authentic Christianity is that when the Bible says this, God's word says this, I align myself with it. I align myself with this. Look, let me close by telling you this. Human beings, me and you by nature, are inauthentic people. I am, you are, we all are. By nature. We're posers, we're frauds, we love the shadows. We say and do what we have to do to get by. And, and that is the entropy of human nature. We decay that way. We, we, we move in that direction. And the way to not be that way is we, we, have to have, we have to be intentional about authenticity. We have to recalibrate ourselves regularly to these three truths. One of them, God is great and you and I aren't. He is supreme. He is our number one priority. We have to recalibrate ourselves to that. Number two, the cross. We have to recalibrate ourselves to how necessary, how important, and how crucial what Christ did on the cross is in our life. And the third thing is God's word. We have to recalibrate ourselves to God's word. You know, one of the last things Jesus did with his disciples was he had a long conversation with them. You can read about it in John from chapter 13 to chapter 17. But the way he started this conversation out is he, he came to them and they were, he had gone on a journey and he, he took a bowl of water and he, he had a towel and he laid down and he got at their feet and he did something that servants did uh, whenever somebody, I guess, entered a home. He got on his hands and knees, he took their feet and he washed them and he cleaned them. And he was doing the, the role and the work of a remedial servant. He wanted to model what it was to be a servant to them, model what it was to be great to them. And he's doing it to him, and then he comes to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No, no, no. I'm, I know who you are. I know who I am. And we would understand and kind of appreciate that response. But Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I don't got nothing to do with you. So then Peter said, oh, then wash my whole body. And Jesus said something that's really kind of powerful, and I think it's powerful for you and I this, this morning. He said, no, 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 you're already clean because of the word spoken. You're already forgiven. You're already right in my, in my eyes. Those who are clean only need their feet washed. And, and what I just sense is going on here, I feel like there's a lot of us here who need our feet washed. You're a Christian. You're clean. You love God. You've walked with him. But maybe there's some areas of sin in your life. Maybe there's some areas of just neglect, bad priorities. Maybe there's some areas where, you know, Bible says something, but you're kind of, eh, you know. And you just need to get your feet washed. You need to kind of be recalibrated. We all need this to maintain authenticity. And I want to encourage you to do that as we go to the Lord and do it this do it this morning. Let's, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful, profound truths. And, and Lord, I thank you that you found us. I thank you that we as broken, simple, insignificant human beings that are going to be forgotten and gone not too long from now. that we can attach our insignificance to your significance. 
we can tack, attach our mundanity and our, our emptiness to your infinite worth. And I pray we do that in a way that's authentic. We'd value you. We would prioritize you above all else. And if we're in a place in our lives right now where that's not the case, we would recalibrate to it. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you are our advocate. You're the one who said, I am going to put your innocence and guilt on my own back. And you wiped away our sins. And we thank you that we can stand clean and, cl- and cleansed in the sight of God, forgiven and whole by your blood. Help us to recalibrate to that powerful truth and help us to recalibrate to your word. There's areas in our life we know are not aligned with your word, whether it's in our sexual lives, as a financial things, if it's the way we're treating our spouse or one another, we pray you would align us with your word. Wash our feet, Lord. Wash our feet, we pray. In Jesus' name.